Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Robert or Rob McKinney. He is an old CalRocks, UROC, WeRock competitor. He also competed in KOH early years. He tried to help us get into Ellensburg, into a big gravel pit up there. And uh, when he was working as a tower crane technician, of course, Ellensburg, all the neighbors around there complained and or enough of them complained at the city council meeting or county council meeting that they shut us down. But anyway, Robert, it's nice to have you on board and uh, talking to you again. A oh, pleasure to be talking to you, Rich. Certainly, thank you for having me. It's flattering that you uh, want to take the time and uh, discuss my rock crawling and racing career. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your name's come up in quite a few conversations, so... Let's uh let's get started and you know where were you born and raised? I was born in downstate New York, a small town called Suffern. Um spent uh, until the 3rd grade there and my family moved to upstate New York to a rural town called Lafayette, New York. Spent my grade school and high school years there. It was a uh, farming mostly communities, neighbors had all farms, cows were our neighbors was a good place to grow up. So you grew up really rural then? Definitely. Our graduating class was 60, and we all knew each other. That's awesome. It was a that's, small town. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. So you were, was there, there was a lot of farmland around there then, I guess? And, and was it, were you able to, like, explore the other areas? Or were, you know, the neighbors, like, keep out of our, our property? No, it was pretty, pretty open, good community, good people around us growing up. Uh, they said the farmers were farmers, you know, you worked, worked for them as a kid. Hay season, you bailed and stacked hay. You drove tractor when they needed it. Usually it was being a kid, you, you did all the hard labor work, shoveled and stacked. And it was a, it was good living though. Not, definitely nothing to regret on that end. And so was were you close enough to town for school that you were able to walk or were you given a ride or did you have to bus in we we had a school bus but i was uh, i wasn't always the be- best behaved kid and early on i got uh, relieved of my privilege to ride the school bus so <laughs> i had a uh, i had a pretty long walk to school um it was about 5 6 miles and i i actually had to cross an interstate or it was a lot longer. And so between right, I'd ride my bicycle or I'd walk to school every day from probably the seventh or eighth grade on. So crossing the interstate, was that like uh, playing Frogger then? It, it was. And I, I had always told my parents there was a culvert and that's how I crossed it. But there was going to the culvert always took a lot of extra time and I'd always chance getting wet. So 
I always crossed the interstate and there was a time or two that the state troopers had stopped and uh, given me a ride to school and they small town again, they knew me, they knew my dad. So I got the ride to school in the police car, which was always kind of tough to explain to everybody in school why I was getting out of a police car. <laughs> so I have to ask then, what would what were you doing or what did you do to get thrown off the bus? It, it was a combination of just being disruptive. I was a disruptive kid and it was, uh, you know, causing trouble, throwing things out the window, probably my mouth a whole bunch too. And uh, just a combination of several events that culminated to they didn't want me on the bus anymore. I was going to say, when did you grow out of that? Because I, I swear, I always thought you were like one of the nicest guys out there and never seemed to cause any trouble. So did you, did you grow out of it or did you just learn to learn to control it? Learn to hide it better. Learn to hide it better. There you go. <laughs> so when you were in school, what, uh, what did you what did you like about school, if any? Oh, I was definitely not a good student. I uh, I stuck it out because that's what you did. I I did do some things that were different for not being a good student. I was editor of the yearbook for a couple of years, which was per- pretty contrary to my academic uh, career. You know, I didn't do well, didn't get good grades, but that was something I enjoyed doing. I had some really good teachers that supported me in town and. I had a you know an English teacher who was also the faculty staff for the yearbook, and he was became a mentor and a good friend over the years, and probably got me through high school. It you know truth be told. So so were, so were your were your credits that you got for doing yearbook were they English credits? No, I did that because I liked it. Oh okay. Um, we actually didn't get any academic credit for it, as I remember. Wow. See, our, our high school, we got, I got English credits for, for doing, um, yearbook and I do not remember taking any other English courses. I was, I certainly could have used it cause I struggled in English class, English class. <laughs> so then, uh, what kind of classes did, did you do? Did you like besides yearbook? I always, always enjoyed science classes, physics. We had a great physics program at the school I grew up in and, Math was always a place I excelled, so I always spent time in those classes and enjoyed them. So you, you were about five or six miles away from school, if that's what you had to ride or walk. When you got old enough to drive, did you have a car? I did. Um, okay. At that point, my parents, my dad got a new car, and uh, they didn't want his car as a trade-in. <laughs> he told them to keep it. <laughs> And so my dad uh, let me have that car to drive around. It was a 1981 Ford Crown Victoria LTD um, giant boat, worn out. I think it had 300 and something thousand miles on it. Uh, it was it was rough, um, but I was certainly excited to have a car to drive. And uh, I had to pay my own insurance. As long as I did that, I was uh, able to drive the car to and from school. And my parents kind of keep kept a leash on me with the car for a while, right. but um, it was certainly nice to get freedom at that point. And being upstate New York, was it uh, a little rusty? A lot rusty. A lot rusty. <laughs> Not Flintstones rusty. You still had a floor in it. It still had a floor, but uh, it was, it wasn't too far from losing it. <laughs> You're well aware of what upstate New York cars look like. Honestly, Rich that's that's spot on. They all rust out pretty darn quick. Yeah. And so, um, did you, did your school have auto shop classes or anything like that? Um, not really. We had a wood shop and a metal shop and, uh, not something I really participated in a ton. Um, I don't know why I never participated in either one. I took some required wood shop stuff, but it wasn't, uh, I, I don't know why I didn't land there. I um I had a couple jobs outside school probably, and those kind of kept a lot of my attention too. I worked, I worked as a dishwasher at a restaurant when I started there when I was thirteen, and I worked my way up to I even cooked at the restaurant. It was a French restaurant not too far from home, and so it was a uh, kept me busy. I could work as many hours as I wanted, and it was different than working you know stacking hay. So I definitely did a lot of that. And I also, there was a machine shop 
not too far from my house that one of my good friends dads owned and he let me sweep the floors and occasionally run some machines and wreck some parts i was definitely you know a teenager and had the attention span of a three-year-old then and so i didn't do too good making parts but he he was hard on me really hard on me and he made me pay attention and made me learn a bunch of stuff which was fantastic and so i got a lot of different experiences working for him that's that's good you know being able to 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 have that experience young um and have somebody that that's going to ride you a bit you know too often i think too often kids don't get ridden enough especially nowadays whether it's at school I, or at home or at work i agree 100 percent. we coddle our kids way too much he uh he was anything but that if i showed up a minute late I had to work on Saturdays for free and I came in on Saturdays and I cleaned the floors, which involved toothbrush use on my hands and knees around all the machines. It was, uh, it wasn't pleasant, but, uh, in hindsight, it was very beneficial to me career wise. Well, and, and you stuck it out. I don't know if, if, a, if I had a, an employer that says, okay, if you're going to be late, you have to work on Saturday for free and here's your toothbrush cleaning the floor. I would have, uh, I'd, I'd have probably walked. I, I didn't have quit in me and right. I was going to beat him. He wasn't going to beat me. And really in hindsight, I'd never beat him because he was way <laughs> more stubborn than I could have ever imagined. Um, but I also wanted to learn what he had to teach. And he did take a ton of time and taught me a lot as well. So after high school, did you, did you, did you go into college then? I, I had a couple runs with college. Uh, I went to Syracuse University for a couple semesters as well as a community college for a couple semesters. But uh, between my extracurricular activities, I was skiing a lot at that point And I didn't, and I had a couple jobs. I had three jobs then. I wasn't focused on school. I didn't know better. I didn't know the value of school. I didn't know that I really did need to stick it out and go to college. Um, so I, I gave up on it and I had, uh, worked as a, a helper for an elevator company for a summer while the ski shop was closed and the restaurant had slowed down. And so I, uh, during that time, I worked as a helper for the elevator company. We did a job for a tower crane company that was based out of New York city. And, uh, the guys that I worked with there liked me and they said, uh, I was unique and I wasn't scared to climb up on tall things and work at heights. And they had offered me a job down in New York city to go work on tower cranes. And I said, no way I don't want to work in New York city. That sounds terrible. Um, and a couple of weeks later I thought it through and I said, you know, I'm kind of want to get out of Syracuse area. It's, it's time to move on. And I called them up and they sent me a plane ticket. I flew down a couple of days later and had an interview with them and started working for them a week after that. Wow. Okay. And you said you, you skied and everything. Was that, uh, you're about the same age as Tom Ways, who uh, yeah, we'll we're, talk about. We're, that. we're within a few months. Did you know him then? I did not. He okay. was down in Pennsylvania. I was in upstate New York. Oh, okay. I was skiing moguls at that time. And I think Tom was skiing gates. He was a racer. Right. So we were kind of, we, we scoffed, we would have scoffed at each other if we saw each other on the hill. <laughs> <laughs> I like mogul skiers and racers were different on the East coast. It must've been the West coast. It wasn't so much so different. Um, I think, I think all of us that raced at any level also loved the bumps, but so were you more like was, freestyle bump skier? Yep. And I really, I was skiing. We had a year, I, a season, I skied almost 300 days in the year. I did ski 300 days in the year. We, uh, we started skiing an early season in Killington, Vermont. And I ended my season in August at Whistler, Blackcomb that year. I, it was the most, and it was the last I really skied. I burned myself out doing it. Wow. I, I was trying to ski moguls competitively and I had a buddy that I was traveling with and we uprooted ourselves and drove to Whistler. And that was the, we, we drove him to Whistler in four days in a S10 blazer that I had. And that's where we were living too. We pioneered this homeless stuff. 
and we uh and we spent a summer living in it in it and out of it we had a tent too and we we skied the only four days we didn't ski up until the time whistler closed was when we were driving across the country wow yeah it was quite an adventure we had that year so did you you skied in high school as well then i did i started skiing when i was 11 10 or 11 all right and i lived 20 minutes from a ski hill a little small podunk ski hill but we skied just about every day after school we skied every day on the weekends we spent a lot of time skiing nice did you suffer any injuries that uh that still bother you or did you figure oh, are your knees, knees all tore up <laughs> now, my knees and hips are sore a lot i don't know <laughs> as i could solely attribute that to skiing but it certainly i'm sure it did not help yeah i think uh i think a lot of bump skiers um have that issue i i i know that i hurt my knees working out at event sites, you know, with the rock crawls and stuff, but I know that it didn't do my, my knees any good knees and hips any good from all that skiing. No, for sure not. Like, so we skied I, all the time. We had night skiing at the place we skied. And so I, and I worked as a ski instructor a couple nights a week there when I wasn't doing other stuff. And so it was there all the time and a lot of, a lot of hours on the slope skiing. Nice. So you, yeah, you were definitely, definitely you definitely were bumming it then. Yeah, we, we played ski bum for a while. And what was, uh, what's your favorite place that you've ever skied? I'd still throw it out. The old days, Blackcomb was awesome before it got commercialized. It was spectacular. That's awesome. And maybe there or Mad River Glen. Okay. In, in New Hampshire. And who were some of the names of the guys that, uh, that were, you know, top bump skiers back then. Oh, we, well, the guys we always looked up to and wanted to be like were Glenn Plake and Mike Hatchup and Scott Schmidt. They were, they were our heroes back then. They, and they made a bunch of, you know, low budget ski movies, the Blizzard of Oz, License to Thrill. And I probably, we watched those until we wore the VHS tapes out several different times. I see. Now you're really aging yourself. VHS tapes. Yeah, well, that's all we had. <laughs> there was no DVDs for those movies. I bet you those movies never came out in DVD. Right. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's uh, that's something that I bet a lot of people will be surprised to hear. And that was that was kind of how actually Tom Ways and I first clicked, is we both knew we rock climbed and we skied, and so that's kind of something we both started talking about shortly after we met. We okay. had some stuff in common. And uh, let's talk about some of that, uh, how we, how you guys met. You competed (laughs) early with Cal Rocks, U Rock, and We Rock. And I think it was like, we, we figured maybe around 2004. And yeah, I think that's when we first started. And I know Tom used to compete with us as well. Is that where you met him? That is where I met him. And it's a pretty funny story how we met. Excellent. It was, it was at a Cougar Buttes event. Um, and I couldn't tell you which one, Rich, but it was Cougar Butte's event. He was spotting for Derek. Okay. And that's Derek. Trent. Rogie, Derek Trent and Bob Rogie was the official on the course. And oh, Jesus. We were in line behind them and, uh, Bob Rogie made a call Tom didn't like, and <laughs> we, we had just introduced ourselves to Tom and Derek and didn't really know him, but, but he seemed like a pretty cool guy. Well, Tom, Tom got a little heated with Bob and you know, Bob's not a small fella and nor is Tom, but when you stand Tom next to Bob, Bob's huge. Right. Um, Tom tore his shirt off his back. It was a wee rock shirt. He tore it off or it was maybe a cow rock shirt and he threw it on the ground and he stomped on it and he challenged Rogi to a fight <laughs> over the call. And uh, we were all with him. We were getting behind. We got you, Tom. And, <laughs> That that's how we we really got to know each other. And I'll I bet Rogie like was scared. <laughs> Not a bit. No. <laughs> Not a bit. He he stood his ground with Tom and backed him down, and it was all good in the end. But boy, <laughs> this guy tore his shirt off and is going to fight this giant. I like him. <laughs> that's awesome because you know Tom 
ended up fighting a bear off out of his cabin or his house up in Tahoe. So it was, I guess that was a little precursor was uh, yeah. <laughs> challenging Bob. <laughs> I never quite thought of it like that, but I would agree. <laughs> That's, uh, you, you know, you tell people the story about Tom and the bear and nobody really believes you because they don't know Tom and they've never, uh, never seen him in action. And if they did know him or they'd seen him in action, they'd believe the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about those early days of rock crawling. Um, what were you driving? I started out with a 71 FJ40 with a uh, small block Chevy in it. Okay. And you it were... was uh, was my daily driver, and I was competing with it for a while. I didn't didn't have a lot of wasn't making great decisions in my life at that point. So, you know, competing with something you had to drive to work wasn't exactly smart. <laughs> and I evolved out of that pretty quick because I realized it wasn't going to work. It was. Uh, Something that we put together, me and uh, had some great friends, have some great friends. And I would say a significant amount of my friends that I have now, I made through rock crawling, off-roading and competing. And they're still, we all still keep in touch. Uh, Todd Hale, who owned Olympic Off-Road, was where we all got our parts from and kind of learned from. And he he encouraged me to start competing and supported me, helped me with parts and helped me wrench on stuff from time to time and went to competitions with us. And uh, he was kind of our uh, motivator initially with the Land Cruisers because he had a Land Cruiser and a whole bunch of the guys we hung around had Land Cruisers. So that was what we all wanted to have and wanted to compete with. So we competed with the Land Cruiser for a couple seasons and uh, we we hit a point where we couldn't keep it together that the tires had gotten bigger and better and the parts hadn't kept up with it and we could break parts at will i particularly we were at fernley reno raceway and uh, i had the tires turned and a good buddy of mine jeff was spot and he said what are you going to do i said jeff if we go we're going to break the axle you know it he said well break it or just sit there and so i broke the axle and we were dragging the car off the course and he, he said to me, he said, Rob, when are you just going to quit throwing good money at this thing and build something to compete with? And, uh, that was the last time I competed with the Land Cruiser. He, he kind of hit home for me and he was spot on that we were never going to be able to make the Land Cruiser competitive. Right. And so we went home and I started, uh, walking in circles and thinking, and we, uh, looking at the magazines with all the real cars in it. Shannon Campbell was kind of always bubbled to the top. I, you know, he was competing a bunch at UROX and he was doing really well and his cars were really cool. And uh, so I, uh, I started making copies of all the pictures in the magazine of them and I put them all up in the shop and the walls were lined with them. And I was trying to figure out how to build a car and what I wanted to do. And so we uh, we started building a car with uh, PVC pipe first to try to mock it up because I had no idea how to bend tubing and cope tubing. It was way past our skill set at that point. I and mean, we'd built some roll cages, but nothing as complicated as a whole car from scratch. So I wanted to try, try it out simpler first. So we built it first out of pipe cleaners, then out of PVC tubing on a bench. And then we built a car and it was looked kind of like Shannon's, I thought, um, but I'd missed a lot of key details. We spent months and months building it. I made a ton of good friends through building it. A bunch of the guys came over and helped us fabricate. And we all put our best you know, thoughts into it and learned a ton from each other. We got the car finished and we went to our very first event was your, one of your events. It was put up or shut up at Cougar Buttes. And Tim Lund had given me Shannon Campbell's number. And so I had called him up before the event. And I said, are you going to be there? And he said, yeah, I'm going to be there. I said, man, I'd really like to meet you. He said, oh, yeah, come on over and see us. And so I was really excited because he was my hero. I, I really wanted to meet the guy. And so we went to the event and we went on. We hit the first obstacle and I flipped the car over backwards and broke a bunch of shit. And uh, they had no idea what we were doing, obviously. Um, and this old guy came up to us and, uh, he said to me, kid, how much weight you got in those front tires? 
don't look like it's enough. And I looked at him real sideways and said, wait, my front tires. I can't wait my front tires. What do you mean? He said, you ain't got any weight in those front tires. Come on over to our trailer. I said, which trailer is yours? And he pointed over and it was the Campbell trailer. It was Don Campbell. It was Don Campbell. And I was like, all right, you get that car fixed and come on over. I said, I got it fixed right now. He said, what do you mean? I said, I, I got it fixed. It's running. And he said, really? He said, yeah. So I drove it over there and he talked to a couple of the guys. And before you know it, they had my car jacked up and they were putting a set of Shannon's front tires on my car. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, you need some weight in those tires, kid. What you got going is good, but it ain't going to work. And so they put a set of front Shannon's spare front tires on my car and we went out and competed and we did okay. It was a whole new world for us. And we went and had dinner with them that night and uh, became kind of fast friends after that. It was uh, one of those opportunities where you have somebody that you, you, you see in the magazines and you hear, you know, you read about and they're great. And then you get to meet them and they're way better than you ever could imagine. They're, uh, they were took time to teach us a ton of stuff. Anytime we went to Arizona, my car ended up in the shop and Shannon spent a day or two working on it, trying to help me make it better. Always had an idea on how we can improve things. Um, I wasn't allowed to stay in hotels in Arizona. They were insulted if we didn't stay at their house. The, they kind of took us under their wing as their little stepchild and uh, certainly was uh, a- added to our rock crawling a ton. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. We'll back up a little bit. When you got into to wheeling, how did that all come about? Were you in New York at that point or had you already moved? Let's even go there. How did you end up from New York and end up in Washington? So the job I took with the tower crane company, right. I had already spent a couple summers out west, a summer out west skiing when we took our black home trip. And so I knew I wanted to live in the Northwest. And so when I took that job with the tower crane company, I said, listen, I don't have no, I have no desire to live in New York. I'll take the job, but I want to live in the Northwest. And they said, perfect. We have an opening there. And so I worked on the East coast for them for a year. And during that time, I actually got married during that time um, and got trained. And then I moved My wife and I moved to the Seattle area. We picked everything up we had, which wasn't much. We put it in a a small trailer that I built and we towed it behind a, was a 89 Nissan Pathfinder across the country. And that's all we had. Wow. So it was a pretty, pretty bold move for us at the time. We were 22 and we'd been married for six months and hit the road. So your wife's a real trooper then she is um we've known each other since the third grade okay um we never dated in high school we were always friends and did a lot of stuff together but we didn't date until uh her college years and my uh i was working at the time and screwing off so we uh she she knew i definitely had a rambunctious side and liked to do things differently than everybody else. And yeah, she's a trooper. She puts up with a lot. I mean, she put up with the years of rock crawling and KOH and all the other stuff we do, which we all know takes a toll on everything. <laughs> financial and time. Yeah. Financially and time. Correct. And, uh, and to have, to have a woman by your side that, that uh, is supportive really makes a difference. Yeah, no doubt. No, I didn't say supportive. She puts up with it. She puts up with it. Okay. She's well, that's, smart. that's she's smarter than that. Okay. She, if she supported me, she knows it'd get way worse out of hand. <laughs> no, she always did support me in it too. She was always encouraging and supportive. Definitely. So then what, uh, how did you end up with the land cruiser? Um, I wanted to get an old Bronco and I couldn't find one that I could afford. And I found an old Land Cruiser that was pretty cheap, and I bought it. And I still have it. I had it for 26 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So the, uh, and you probably, it'd still probably be hard to to afford an an old Bronco. Those things keep jumping (laughs) in prices. (laughs) Boy, they certainly do. I went from wanting an old Bronco to a Scout 
to what I could afford ended up being a land cruiser. And I'm pretty darn glad I landed there because, you know, all the guys that have land cruisers kind of, uh, oh, yeah, land cruiser, they're a friend right away. And uh, <laughs> they don't even need to know you. And, you know, they're their they're friend. And I met a lot of people that stopped you on the road that had a land cruiser and they wanted to talk to you. Right. That's so awesome. it was definitely, definitely always glad I ended up there. And let's talk about your very first event. That was that Pacific Northwest crawling. I forget what that was called, but it was up there. Um, oh, along it was the Columbia, in the Columbia River. Columbia River Gorge. Yes. Yep. Just outside of Vantage. Vantage. That's it. It's yep, all it was those, the Vantage. All those lava, lava bluffs with all the sand, right? Yeah, they were basalt and columns, I think, and and sand at the top and sand at the bottom and big drop-offs and not great climbs. It was a, it was a ton of fun. We, uh, we went there and, you know, we, we had spent weeks and months preparing the car and we were going to, we were going to win. We were sure of it. And we did do pretty good, but, uh, it was pretty eye opening to us how, um, how inexperienced we were at it. Really. We had done a bunch of wheeling, but competing was a whole different thing. You know, it's like when the flag drops, everything changes. Yes. The, that's one of the things that I, that I always try to warn teams about when they call up and they say, okay, we're coming out to compete, you know, and I, so often I get the, well, you know, we, we do the most extreme crawling, you know, me and my friends, you know, we, we're the, the best extreme crawlers in our area, our state, we're this, we're that. And I'm like, okay. You know, you got to remember, you're not getting to pick your own line. I mean, there are, you can take your own line, but you have to drive mine, you know, and, uh, (laughs) and then reality hits when they, when they start walking the courses before they actually run them. Certainly change things. That event was where we learned that we were good at going downhill by we, me, I, I wasn't scared to fall off things. And that was something that, uh. I don't know if I just picked it up then and decided I wasn't scared. So just keep going with it. But I always, whenever you had a good obstacle, Rich, with a big drop, I was always excited because I knew everybody else would struggle with it. And that was always where I was happy. Nice. The ups I never got great at, but the downhills, you know, gravity's your friend. And if you work with it, it always uh, works back with you. <laughs> gravity's your friend. <laughs> There's some people don't that don't argue that with you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh Lord. So, um, out of the places that you got to crawl, what would you think is your, was your favorite event site or event area? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, which ones had the biggest, the the most downs (laughs) Donner? Donner was, I I'd say you're probably right on there. Donner is probably scenic. Um, it was a ton of fun and we always, Donner, Donner was always a great event for us because we always stay at Burger's house and Burger would have a great big rock crawl party and it'd be a huge, huge event for us. Everybody wanted to go hang out at Castle Burger and, uh, the event sites, you always put on spectacular events there. They were definitely in the top couple, good drop-offs. Um, Paris, you had a spectacular drop-off. Yeah. That one where we put the hay bales at the bottom? (laughs) The hay bales at the bottom. Yeah, that was a great one. That was probably one of the bigger ones. Yes. I know Um, some people, when they first saw that, they were like, you know, what is going through your mind? I said, hey, my son set those. (laughs) And and it was a bonus line. You didn't have to do it. Yeah, like everybody said, if you put cones on it, we had to do it. (laughs) That was always it. And you, the rule for us always was if there's a bonus line and you don't try it, just go home. There's no point in being there if you're not going to take the bonus lines. <laughs> I think it's well, gotten were, a lot more, uh, it's more calculated now. <laughs> so it's still a bunch of bonus lines, but uh, people don't take them? They take them when they need to, but it's a, like I said, it's, it's very calculating. Um, there's, there's guys that could probably nail all of the bonuses, but won't necessarily take them because it could switch, you know, it, you take a 40 on a course nowadays because you, you roll over on a, on an, on an obstacle like that, or you break out 
you know, you have no chance at all. So guys roll the dice, you know, and just see how things are going to fall until the very, you know, maybe the last two or three obstacles of the weekend. And they'll let, they'll let things slide. Wow. That's, that's definitely changed. Yes. Yeah, it has. For, for our days, it was everybody took the bonus lines. Unless it was nobody made it at all before you, and then you thought about it. Right. But yeah, we always took the bonus lines. And that was, you know, Jason, Polly, Tracy, Jordan, Shannon, they all took bonus lines. There was, there was no option. <laughs> exactly. So we go, uh, let's see, we, we started off with the, how you got your Jeep or how you got your Toyota um, or why you got it your beginning of the rock crawling and everything. When was it that you just finally said, okay, I'm done with rock crawling. Was that after you started racing KOH? I I wouldn't tell you I'm done, Rich. Okay. Um, I just, uh, I changed jobs and I got really busy with other stuff. And, and I did start racing KOH as well, which I enjoyed a ton. Um, it was a matter of finding time to do it all and the finances, right? It's, you know, the, between the traveling and keeping a car together, it's not cheap. Correct. So between all that, it kind of just got to a point where I had to pick something and KOH definitely landed on the top. Um, I definitely talked about it even recently that I, man, the new cars are pretty amazing with portal boxes and four wheel steer. And I thought, man, it'd be a ton of fun to get back into some rock crawling. And I'd love to maybe get my son out there doing it, get some driving and driving experience. I mean, I don't think there's a better way to learn how suspension works and what a car can and can't do than rock crawling. And if he wants to race side by sides in KOH or race a real, you know, 4,400 car, I think he needs to spend some time behind the wheel rock crawling to learn, learn the ins and outs of that before he could evolve to, driving through the rocks fast oh i agree i agree it's i don't think there's a better training ground or proving ground to learn how to drive hard technical obstacles than competition rock crawl yep so what uh how old is your son he turns 18 today oh okay well tell him happy birthday (laughs) i will definitely do that so then yeah it's a good time to get him started so what's the first event you're going to come back out to? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, good question. And I wish I could give you a solid answer on that. I don't have a plan, but it's definitely, in, it could be in the cards for us. Um, you, you he's should... been racing some side-by-side stuff and okay. I could see him maybe, I think you have some side-by-side classes now. Yes. I could see him taking one of the side-by-sides out and see, you know, he does with that. And if it's something he wants to, Grow a little with, see where he takes it. Well, you know, I think it's uh, end of July, August. We'll be in in Goldendale, so uh, and we have a couple of uh, UTVs that show up for that one. That's for sure. Well, you might get us there then. That that's uh, that'd be perfect. That's an easy close event for us. Cool. And you know, my actually, my daughters have both expressed interest in doing stuff too. So who knows? We might have a couple of them competing. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about uh, your days at KOH. You were there early in the time, especially if you were friends with the Campbells then. Um, so, yes, I was. I raced in the first official KOH. I was uh, Tom Ways' co-driver. Okay. In 08. Right. And uh, Tom had his... <laughs> His first car, which was, you know, an evolution of what he rock crawled with and ran trails with. So things were pretty primitive back then. Uh, but uh, Tom and I had a great time competing and racing together. It was uh, very different than it is now. It was a, it was an adventure. Um, the next year, I got my own car. And I say my own car. I was the luckiest guy in the lake bed. I, Shannon... And Nick Campbell had put together a deal where if I helped pay for the car, Nick and I would split KOH. He'd drive half, I'd drive half. And uh, so that was uh, the start of my KOH driving is Nick and I had a car that uh, I flew down to Arizona and helped them finish. And we went to the Lake Bend and we raced. 
we did that for three years in a row and we did really pretty well. We had a couple top 10 finishes and a couple top 20 finishes. We had a, we had a good run. And then, uh, Bailey and Whalen started coming of age and Dexter cars weren't available anymore, which I knew was coming and certainly, uh, was lucky to have the run I did with the Campbells. They taught me a lot about driving, a lot of how to keep the car together, how to prep a car, how to build a car. It was uh, it was a privilege to get to do that. That's cool. And you guys, was that a, a two-seater that you were, were racing? We did a two-seater for a couple of years, and then we had a single-seater the last year that I raced with them that... uh we ran and the single seater was more of a more modeled towards like what Shannon was driving at the time, uh, more of a low slung rock buggy type car, as opposed to a full chassis, you know, bigger car with two seats hadn't evolved two seaters into anything small at that point yet. Right. And let's talk about your, uh, your, some of the runs down there. Um, what was some of the most memorable occasions while you were racing koh well every time you finished was pretty memorable for one back then (laughs) because attrition attrition was pretty high you know as you know 20 people were finishing right and the race was i think the first year when tom and i ran was only 50 miles and the finish was we were pretty darn pleased with it at that point the next year was nick and i and we ran pretty hard for what we had going on and we had a few problems with the car um, that we were able to fix on the fly, you know, stealing bolts out of one part to keep another part together. And uh, it always was fun. Um, the rock trails, you know, you, they were, they were hard and we had been on vacation down there. I'd been down there with uh, Jason Shear, Jason Berger, actually Shear wasn't there. We, we took a bunch of trips to Johnson Valley just to have fun and play. And the memorable thing in my head was that we took hours to run trails that we ran in under 10 minutes in KOH. And I couldn't wrap my head around that, that we'd go up on that trail and it took us a whole day to run it. And we just did it in 10 minutes. We had a Nick and I had the famous Casey Curry incident where we might or might not have driven over a Campbell car that Casey was driving and <laughs> We, we didn't make any friends there, but, uh, he was in the way and we needed traction. So it had to happen. <laughs> oh Lord. That's awesome. And that's those early days is when, uh, spectators were right down on the race course too. When you drove into Jackhammer, the crowd parted to get you so you could get through it. And you were worried about hitting people. Cause yeah, they were right on the course. They were, they were touching your tires always. They were leaned against you. They were right in the middle of it. It was pretty awesome. It was quite an experience. And then BLM said, what the hell are you guys doing? And made everybody get back up on the hillsides. You know, it's a good thing they did that before anything serious happened. Um, We got away with it for, you know, what, first four or five years of KOH. Um, So it was definitely them stepping in wasn't necessarily bad. I it was fun and I, I miss it, but it was the right thing to do. Right. So let's talk about your work a little bit. You're still, you're still doing crane tower crane stuff, but, uh, you're no longer a tech you're, uh, you're selling them. Um, nope. I, I run a operations for a tower crane rental company based in Seattle. I'm, I'm an office guy. Now I sit at a desk and have a computer and I drive around and visit customers and put out fires. So more, I'm a firefighter and a babysitter. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Which did you prefer being out in the field or doing what you're doing now? That's a tough question. Um, At the time I was in the field, it was the right place for me to be. Um, You know, I'm older now. I don't need to be running up and down cranes. I don't know if uh, I want to be out in the rain and the cold anymore. Um, there's definitely pros and cons to both. Uh, the office is tough. I sit behind a desk is challenging for me. I don't sit well. And as I mentioned earlier, when I was, you know, 18, 20, I had the attention span of a three-year-old that hasn't really evolved much. I still 
have the attention span of a three-year-old. So the office is challenging for me in that respect as well. Understood. And what do, what do your, what do you and your family do for fun besides your working? Uh, I'm assuming your wife works as well. She does. She is a mental health specialist. She's a counselor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that explains a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that that always, most people uh, have a lot of insight at that point when they understand what she does. (laughs) So was she into that beforehand or was it just something that came natural after you guys got married? (laughs) That's what she went to college for, and okay. she's uh, since evolved it into she has a master's and a bunch of alphabet soup along with her name, a bunch of specialties she has, and she has her own practice that she runs now. So it's evolved a bunch since we got married, but uh, that's where her direction has been. Excellent, excellent. And I kid you, you're you're a great guy and uh, lots of fun to be around, that's for sure. So, oh, but but you're not necessarily wrong. <laughs> Where's your uh, so? Where do you guys? What do you guys do for fun when um, you're not working? We, winter time, we do a bunch of snowmobiling. Um, when I got burned out on skiing, you know, it got too crowded, too expensive, and and I just burned out as well. I pretty well gave up on it, and I started snowmobiling, and has since taken snowmobiling up as something I enjoy probably what i enjoy the most and the family does too that we go out there's a lot of great mountains around us and we spend weekends out there riding when we can and in the summer side by sides and i do some fishing in the summer spring springtime you know side by sides fishing summer the fall gotta we do some hunting so kind of a mixed bag of stuff cool and do you still uh, keep up with uh, what's going on in the rock crawling world or KOH? I do. Um, I still stay in touch. I uh, I guess a little further in KOH after I stopped driving, I co-drove for Tom a couple years. See, in I think it was 18 and 19, I co-drove for Tom at KOH. So got got back into that arena for a little bit with him. And that was, that was a ton of fun. It was... Uh, amazing to see how everything had involved and uh, where everybody was driving wise and the cars were definitely uh, had grown a bunch. Um, So I keep up with that. I talk to Jason Berger at least once a week and Steve Bissick and I talk a lot and he stays very involved in things as well. So I get a lot of updates from him. I talk to Shannon and usually see him once, twice a year. We try to run into each other. I catch up with them at an event. So stay stay a little in touch. Yeah, definitely. Not as much as I like to, but as much as I can with other things going on. Well, awesome. It's good to hear. And so what's in the, uh, we talked a little bit about possibility in the future of you bringing your kids out to, to wheel, but where's, uh, where, where, where's Robert going in the future? Where do you see yourself? I'd like to grow somewhat of a family team and have the kids doing some racing and rock crawling as they want to. I could see a couple of them really getting into it. Um, Maybe started out with some side-by-side racing, which we have already. The kids have raced the side-by-sides and some local stuff. We had a King of the Castle, which isn't too far from here. It's down in Southern Oregon. Uh, Alex raced that a couple years ago and did pretty well. It was a hundred mile desert race. Um, and he's definitely expressed interest in wanting to do that. Um, so I could see a little evolution there into doing some of that. Uh, I mean, ultimately I'd love to figure out a way to get a 4,400 car again and, uh, get back into that. But it's, uh, that's a big step right now to the time commitment, the financial commitments, huge where that is. And, the other direction, definitely I could see doing some rock crawling over the next couple of years, whether it's via the side-by-sides or we build another car or look for one to buy. It'd be uh, definitely something that uh, I could see us participating in on and off. It would be a, be a ton of fun. Absolutely. Well, I know that it'd be really nice to have you back out there. We uh, We really 
you know, I miss you. I don't know if anybody else does, um, but I have missed you. Do, do I know anybody that's still there, Rich? You know what? There's not a lot of guys that are still competing. Um, Cody Wagner is, he took off this last season, but I think he's coming back out for most of the year this year. Awesome. Um, Jesse Haynes is still competing. You know, he was East Coast, but moved out here. And uh, he's the he's the top gun right now. Him and uh, one of the guys out of Northern California, Dave Wong, he's now down in San Hollow area of St. George. And they, uh, they are, he's one of, you know, he's another one of the top dogs. So he was around in those years, but it was more um, as staff helping at the events. And they used to help with some recovery and stuff. He was with the Sierra Posse Club. But uh, those are the guys you're going to know. I know Tracy Jordan was talking about getting his daughter involved, but uh, that okay. hasn't happened yet. So we'll see, we'll see that, where that goes. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. I don't, I don't see Cody playing second fiddle to anybody for long either. He's pretty darn competitive. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That'd be a tough one for him. Well, Robert, I want to say thank you very much for coming on board on uh, Conversations with Big Rich and, and talking about your history and and uh, your life in general and, and rock crawling and racing. And uh, I really appreciate you spending the time with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Rich. Uh, certainly great to talk to you and definitely miss spending time with you guys and everybody else out there rock crawling and racing. It's uh you know, I said we made a ton of great friends that we still stay in touch with. And when all the dust clears and, you know, we park the cars, it's all those friends that you really have and remember. And over those years, it's uh, we've acquired quite a few and it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And uh, hope to see you in Goldendale. Looking forward to it, Rich. All right, Robert, take care. You too. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, Live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.